written thousands of years ago. Every page, every story, inspired from God. Do they apply to me? Is the Old Testament obsolete? With Pastor Jim Scudder Jr. I'm very frustrated. Because once I start using something or learning something, it's obsolete. It's obsolete. Oh, the, the, they don't support that anymore. Or, you know, there's a much better one now. But that happens every like 10 days. And I just, you know, I just really long for those days when the world was a lot simpler, when we would carry around a club and, you know, make grunts. Um, and that's just every man's dream, right? To go live in a cave. You know, we kind of joke about that, but we're going to talk about that today. That is actually an evolutionary, humanistic, anti-God paradigm. That we came grunting and hunting and gathering, and then we got smart enough to start planting and you know, develop culture, and that we came out of Africa, we came from apes. You know, that's not only humanistic and atheistic, it's actually racist. We're going to talk about that today as we're going through a series, Is the Old Testament Obsolete? And as we've been doing in this series, we are also bringing on stage something that is obsolete, something that you brought us. And we have a whole line of things down in my wife's office that we're going to be unveiling every time we do is an Old Testament obsolete message. And I need a kid to help me with this. Is there a kid in the audience that would come up here? It's a very simple uh, task that I'm going to ask you to do. Um, anybody, anybody, anybody. I need somebody. Is there anybody? It's a pain job. People are pointing. I can't. Oh, you want to do it? Come on up here. Sorry, I didn't even see you. All right, here we go. This is going to be great. You're going to really love it. Okay, here is a microphone. I'm going to hold this. Stand right there. What's your name? Aaliyah. Aaliyah. What a beautiful name. Do you know what this is, Aaliyah? Okay, you probably don't. Now, do you know what it is? Mm, no. <laughs> okay. Does anyone know what this is? It's a CB. A CB is a Citizens Band Radio. You push that button. Isn't that cool? And you talk into it. Okay? And you, you would turn it on. This one, it does turn on, but it doesn't work. All right. This is something that I believe Dr. Howe donated and he was just using this a couple days ago. Uh, he didn't want to get a cell phone. So this is what we used to do when we were on road trips before cell phones. Isn't that neat? And you wouldn't have one this big in the car. Uh, this would be more like a house version. But you'd have, how many of you use the CB in a car? Road trips. Truckers, of course, use these. Okay, we're going we're gonna to speak a little CB lingo, okay? Okay, I'm going to have you say what I say. Ready? But you got to do it into that. Ready? Yeah, hold that closer to your mouth and push the button and say this. Breaker, breaker. Breaker, breaker. Ten four, big buddy. Ten four, buddy. Um, smoky, local yokel. Smoky, local. What's your ten twenty? What's your ten twenty? a meat wagon on the highway? Where's a meat wagon on the highway? And a gator. Do you know what you just said? No. Okay. That's actual CB lingo. Some of you know, right? You know, when you say breaker, breaker, you're kind of just saying, okay, I'm on the, I'm on the radio. And you say 10-4, you're saying, I acknowledge that. If you say smoky, you're saying, okay, cop, uh, uh, state trooper, local yokel is a local small town cop, right? A meat wagon, that's actually a little sad. That's an ambulance. A gator is a, a shredded tire on the side of the road. Um, if you say uh, smoky in the air, it's a police helicopter. There's all sorts of slang when it comes to uh, CB lingo. Isn't that interesting? I, I love those days when we used to go on road trips. Pastor Paul would be in another car 
And we just thought we were so cool. We were barely old enough to drive. We each had a CB. And we're talking. And you have to say it with a little southern accent, too. You know? And we're trying to talk to the truckers, which we learned a few things that probably we shouldn't have learned um, from them. But um, I also remember this used to happen even in this room. Sometimes the truck would go by with a real powerful CB and it would come into our sound system while we were having church. And you just want to make sure some of those words weren't some of the, uh, the uh, inappropriate uh, ones while we are having service. But anyways, you did a great job. Now you know this is a CB, right? Citizens Band Radio. And you, young lady, get that. That's $20. Spend it quick before that goes obsolete, okay? All right, let's give her a hand. Well done. It's a, it's a whole language, isn't it? It's a whole language. We're going to talk about today that today. Where did language come from? And the Bible actually tells us where language, not just language, which language is an interesting thing too, right? Um, God spoke things into existence. God obviously communicates uh, the three in one, the one God, three persons. They would communicate. He created us in his image. We communicated with him, him with us. So we have a way to communicate is language. And then when you have languages, we have many different languages in the world, right? We have over 7,000 people say languages. And then there's other dialects and accents and other things even from that. But linguists can boil that down and compare languages and find out that they're actually around 100 language families. And there's this language tree, you know, they have the trunk and then they split it off in all these language families. Do you know, it's just like evolution. Evolution says, well, we all came from this single, uh, you know, amoeba or whatever it was, and we split off into all these different animals and eventually comes humans. Well, if you really look at that tree, ancestral tree of languages or of evolution, it actually, you have the different branches, but then it just stops. The branches, it's like we don't have a trunk. We just have all these branches that just sprung up all of a sudden. That's the same with, you know, humans, with uh, dogs. There's a species or a kind, and you're inside of that. There's tons of variation within that. I mean, just look in this room. Just think about all the people that you know, and you never hardly ever find someone that looks exactly like you, right? You never find that. Now, there's identical twins, but that's splitting the same DNA, sharing the same DNA. But just randomly, two different people, it's amazing the variety that's within the human genome, the humankind. And then you have the canine and the, the horse, and you have all these kinds. They sprung up literally from nowhere. You say, well, how do they connect them all in the book? That's art. It's a presupposition. It's art. There's no evidence for it. You say, wait a second, what about the ape men? What about the ape men? There's lots of evidence. Here's what I challenge you to do. The ape men, they're still taught from ape to human in the textbooks, in schools, and in universities. They're either humans, or they're apes, or they're frauds. Okay? I'm not a big conspiracy guy, but this one is crazy. You say, well, no, they teach that like it's fact. That's all I'm saying is look into that. And we can do that another time, but if you really research it, they're either human, or they're ape, or they're frauds. And there's a number of frauds that are still being perpetuated today. 100% fraud. They said it was one thing, and it was actually another thing. People making it up for publicity or money. Okay? So, now, let's talk about this today. The Bible is one of those things that doesn't go obsolete. Isn't that wonderful? Think about that. Now, it's an old book. I mean, we're talking about a book that at the, at the earliest, we have some of the, the New Testament passages or books were written over 2,000 years ago. And then some are much older than that. We have a very old book. There's an amazing consistency in this, though, in this book. From so many different authors, so many different centuries, there's a flow. There's a beauty. There's, there's a, a symmetry in this book. You know what that means? That means this is from God. There's lots of reasons I believe that. This is God's word, but we're going to talk about one of those things today in that the Bible's uh, narration of history fits what we're finding linguistically and archaeologically. Okay, we're going to talk about this. Now, this might be a little heavy today. This is important. Why? 
because I'd rather believe what God has clearly said than what man has said has happened. Why? Because God was there. And if we start to drill down, we start to investigate this, even scientifically, we're going to find it matches the Bible more than it matches some uh, fairy tale that man has invented. So Luke 21, Jesus said in verse 33, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Let's read that together. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Isn't that amazing? This book is not obsolete. You say, well, wait a second. You have a major division in your Bible that you call the Old Testament. So doesn't that mean if it's old, it's out of date, it's, it's not needed anymore, it's not used anymore, it's obsolete, right? No, no, no. We probably shouldn't call it the Old Testament. We do that because we call what we have the Christian scriptures from the Gospels on, we call that the New Testament. So we're going to call that the New Testament. Let's call this the Old Testament. And that's probably not the best thing to call it. We can call it the Older Testament or the Hebrew scriptures, but it's cohesive. It's important. Now, some of the things were directed to a nation. We are not that nation. We are not Israel. We are the church, the called out assembly, the local body of Christ since he's left the earth. We are his body. We're his hands and feet, his mouth. We are to be representing him on this earth until he comes back. We're not Jew or Gentile. We're not bond or free. We're not male or female. We are what? One in Jesus Christ. Okay? But that doesn't mean the Old Testament isn't important anymore. It's actually foundational. And I'm going to illustrate this. This is what we usually do. We, we take a, a New Testament passage and we springboard from that back into the Hebrew Scriptures. And this is what we're going to do again today. We're going to do it with Revelation 18, verse 2. Look at the screen. Revelation 18, verse 2. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon. Okay? So we're going to ask a question. What is Babylon? Who is Babylon, right? We're we're reading our, our our, our Christian Bible our New Testament, and we, we read the word Babylon. So we wonder, what is that? Well, to find that out, we're going to have to do what? Go back and look at the Older Testament, the Old Testament scripture. Babylon the Great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a habitation of devils, the hold of every foul spirit, and the cage of every unclean and hateful bird. Her sins, this is really curious, her sins, Babylon's sins, have reached unto heaven. Why is this important? Because in Genesis, we're going to read about Babel, Babel, okay? You can say it either way. Both are correct. Don't correct me. I mean, you can correct me, but I don't care. So we're going to, I'm going to say it both ways. And they built a building that what? Reached into the heavens. And at the end of the Bible, we hear the Lord say that this Babel, that is now called Babylon, the city, this empire that is a metaphor for the world system of, of anti-God and humanistic thought and sin has piled its sins that reach into the heavens. Do you see that? But how do we know what all this means? Well, we have to jump back into the Old Testament. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to get into that more later. But first, let's do a quick review of our, our series so far. When Genesis... The first two chapters, it's pretty simple. Uh, we, we find that God created the world. We find that there's a, there's a male and a female. There's only two genders. Okay, We find that out from the Bible. People seem to be pretty confused about this. But if you go to the hardware store, you're going to find two genders, right? If you're looking for plumbing parts. I'm just telling you stuff, okay? It's pretty simple. It's not complicated. I'm not going into that more. We find out more about marriage. We find out about this Garden of Eden. Everything's great. Then chapter three, it just, the wheels fall off. We have the serpent, we have sin, we have the penalty of sin, and it's awful, isn't it? And it gets worse because in Genesis four, we have Cain is murdering Abel, the first murder. We have devolved, if anything, folks, not evolved. Genesis five, we come to genealogy. Now you say, genealogy, that's boring. So-and-so begot, so-and-so begot, so-and-so. It is boring until it's your genealogy, right? And then you're like, oh, that's cool. This is, I'm, I'm related to a king or, 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 uh, or uh, you know, 
a mass murderer. We, we don't really talk about him, do we? But we, we, we like genealogy, right? It's, it's kind of anchors us into, this is our place in the world. And I've done some of that. Some of our genealogy is uh, based on the Scudder, the Scudder genealogy, which is, is pretty well documented because we have a couple of famous Scudders. But um, you, in Genesis 5, if you read Genesis 5, you are related to those folks. From Adam to Noah, that's the genealogy of, of Genesis 5. These are your ancestors, 100%. Okay? Genesis 6 through 8, we read about this worldwide catastrophic water event called the flood of Noah. We read about Noah. If you look at geology and all the sedimentary layers around the world, we were just out in Arizona, and we saw the sedimentary layers. They match all around the world. It had to be a massive worldwide water event that laid down the sediments and the fossils. You say, no, it was millions and millions of years of low process and time and chance. That's not what the evidence has. That's what they're teaching you because it takes the Bible out of the equation. It takes God out of the equation. You say, why would they do that? They don't want to be accountable to God. That's all it is. That's all it is. Okay, so we have Genesis 6 through 8, Noah and the flood. We have Genesis, you say, how could all the animals fit on the flood? How could, you know, we've, we've already talked through all that, right? So go back to some of these sermons. If you're interested in that, it, it totally makes sense and it works. Okay, Genesis 9, flood is over. There's a promise that there will be no more flood. Out in Arizona last week, we had rain of all things. I mean, it's raining in the desert. Only when I go to the desert does it rain. But with rain comes what? A rainbow. We saw this beautiful rainbow. It was one of the only times I've ever seen it. It looked like a straight shaft of rainbow. You know, I'm I'm sure it wasn't straight because rainbows are curved. You can see a circle if you're above it, but it's the, the light refracting through raindrops. It's beautiful, splitting the colors. Uh, and that every time you see that, what is it? A promise that God will no longer ever destroy the world with a global flood. Now the world will be destroyed with fire in the future, and that's predicted as well. Then we find a sad event of Noah who had been faithful. He was drunk. And then there was an episode where his uh, nakedness was evidenced, and, and one of the sons uh, made fun of him, and Ham and his son Canaan were cursed. Now that's going to come into play today. Because we're going to talk about in Genesis 10, the table of nations. And one of the big uh, stories of the Bible is the nations of Canaan. That's why this is pulled out. There's a curse put upon that civilization. And and eventually, God uh, would bring the Messiah uh, from the land that was previously occupied by the Canaanites. And then in uh, Genesis 11, we're going to be talking about this today, the Tower of Babel. Babel. Uh, we're going to talk about the origin of languages. There's a lot to talk about today, but when you go onto the internet and you search Tower of Babel, you're going to find this. This is study.com. They say the Tower of Babel is a mythical tower. Isn't that funny? They just say it like that. Wikipedia, whoever. That's what they say. It's mythical. Why do they say that? They don't want to believe in, in a God that they have to be accountable to. They want to do what they want to do. They want to do it their way. And we, sh- we cannot do that. If we're created and we have to answer then to a creator, we better know what he has to say about us, where we came from, what our problem is, and his solution to our problem. That's what the Bible is. It's a story of love and grace, but you still have to go through it God's way. Okay? So <clears throat> they say it's a mythical tower described in the book of Genesis in the Christian Old Testament. That is a... Myth. <laughs> Study.com is what I'm saying, not the Tower of Babel. Okay, so let's look at Genesis 10, and we're not going to read the whole entire chapter, and the reason is because <clears throat> I had a uh, member of my church at Westchester Bible Church that was an anesthesiologist. He's from Egypt, and he goes, Pastor Scudder. Horrible Egyptian accent, but I'm trying my best. <laughs> you put people to sleep on Sunday, I put them to sleep Monday through Friday. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Basali. That is so sweet of you to say. <laughs> sweetest man, by the way. Sweetest man. But if I go through the genealogies of Genesis 10, you will probably be asleep. But if you're researching them and you realize that some of these people are your ancestors, you are all related to Noah. Genesis 10.1. Now, these are the generations of the sons of Noah. 
You're all related. You know, I said in Genesis 5, you're related to uh, the descendants from Adam to Noah. You have to be, because everyone was destroyed in the flood, except for Noah and his family. And then you're also, one of these guys, Shem, Ham, or Japheth, is your, is your great-great-great-great-grandfather. True. Okay? This is really cool. When you start to realize that your genealogy is actually in the Bible, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Now, I wish we could all trace our ancestry. You should be able to, but it gets blurry, doesn't it? We don't really know after a few generations back with records and stuff. It's hard. It's hard to find all that out. But uh, it's pretty interesting anyways. So Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and unto them were sons born after the flood. Okay, So this is basically the repopulation of the earth. This is also called the table of nations. In Genesis 10.32, this is the last chapter of this uh the last uh, verse of this chapter. These are the families of the sons of Noah after their generations in their nations. And by these were the nations divided in the earth after the flood. So if you were to go through and, and list out all of these different people, you're going to come up with a chart like what we have on the screens right now. You have Noah. You have his uh, three sons. You're either a descendant of Japheth Shem or Ham. Okay. And by the way, we talked about his son Canaan being cursed. And from Canaan came the, uh, the nations that eventually would be a curse to, uh, to Israel. You also have a, a line, a messianic line where the Messiah that would come and, and provide salvation to all of us would come, and the Bible actually specifies that that's going to come through Shem, all the way down through Peleg, eventually to Abraham, and to Christ, okay? So that's that lineage, and if you want to read about that lineage, you can read about that in Luke 3. That's the lineage of Jesus, and actually lists all of these same people all the way up to Adam. Isn't that amazing? And it matches up perfectly here with the table of the nations in Genesis 10. So, and also, I don't have this verse for you, but in um, verse 32, I'm sorry, in verse 25 of Genesis 10, there's a, a mention of Peleg. Go back to the chart and look at and uh, this, this guy right here, Peleg. Okay, it says that in the days of Peleg, the earth was divided. Now, so... Some people think that that's the splitting of the continents, but I think the splitting of the continents must have happened during the flood. It was actually part of the whole process of the flood because the fountains of the great deep opened and you have continental, um, massive, quick movement of continents slamming into each other, creating the mountains. I think all of that happened in the flood. If this happened four generations later, a hundred years later, which is about when Peleg would have lived uh, after uh, Noah, then you would have had massive tsunamis and everything else, and it would have probably been another uh, major cat- uh, catastrophe on the planet. So I don't believe this is the division when it says that the earth was divided. It was a, I don't think it was a, a continental division at that time. Again, that happened during the flood, but it was a division of nations, of people groups. And so I believe this is when the Tower of Babel would have occurred, okay? So how long, when you, when you start talking about all of this, how long were these events after each other? If you look from, from Adam to Noah, from Adam to Noah, that's around 1,650 years. 1,650 years. Then you have from the flood until the Tower of Babel, you have about another 100 years, 106 years, okay? So this is only about four generations from the flood until you get here to the division of nations. Now, let's go through this and let's talk about some of the the interesting things here. The evolutionary paradigm basically says that we came out of Africa. And the reason that they say that is because that's where the apes are and we all came from apes, so we all came from Africa, okay? But what does archaeology say and what does the Bible say? Archaeology says... There's a cradle of civilization, the Middle East, Mesopotamia. Archaeology says that that civilization came 
and, and spread throughout the whole earth from that location. That's actually what the Bible says. Not from Africa, but from the Middle East, a fertile crescent, Mesopotamia, where we would find ancient Babylon and those types of civilizations. From that point, we find, because you can look at the commonality with like ceramics and all the different, uh, you know, implements and things that they had, and you can trace that that way. And it matches what the Bible is describing here. So the evolutionary paradigm doesn't fit. Okay? It's a worldview. It's an assumption. They say, well, we must, we, we evolved. That's fact. So therefore, uh, we must, if we came from apes, we had to come from Africa. Those are huge assumptions. Okay? If you start to study that out, they're making these grand, huge assumptions, assumptions that aren't, uh, solid in, in actual science. Now, if you look at the different nations that are mentioned in Genesis 10, and then Genesis 11 talks about why they're dispersed, okay? And why there's different languages. You have here a, a series of different uh, uh, people that spread out. You see that, the spread, the way that on this chart, the way that they're spreading. And if you go today, you can actually still see the, the names of the nations, the names of the ancestors and the people in our world today. They've, some of them have retained these same names. Mizram. Okay, Mizram is a descendant of Ham, and in, in Mizram is modern-day Egypt, the Egyptians. Actually, the Bible, when it talks about Egypt, it talks about uh, Mizram. Uh, here's another one. Here's Canaan. Canaan is a descendant of Ham, a son of, of Ham that, that populated the land where Israel is today. Okay. The Canaanites, the name is still there. Okay, here's Meshach, which is modern. It's the, it's the name Moscow today. Okay, uh, you, you can actually go and, and find all of these people that have emigrated, and you can still trace almost all of us, wherever your ancestry is from, you can probably get pretty close to which one of those sons or grandsons or great-grandsons of Noah you are related to, because we're all related. But this is, this is exactly what we're finding in culture, in archaeology. It, and even today, in, in the modern names, or if you do a little research, a, a transliteration of a name in a different language, to what the Bible says. I find this so fascinating, and I love it when the Bible actually is verified through a little bit of research and a little bit of study. Now, I hope all of you, there's another map, uh, I hope all of you know what this is. Uh, raise your hand if you, if you can tell me. I have a map of the world, and there's colors that are on Western Europe, uh, England, and Eastern Europe, and Russia. Any of you know what this represents? I'll actually give you, I should be careful with this. There's only one person that knows what this is, other than me. Uh, I'll give you $100 if you can tell me what this represents. Anybody know? The United Nations, yeah. The divided nations, I think. Ottoman Empire. Ottoman Empire. This is great. I love it when we just shout out in church. And you want to, right? You really want to, but you don't get an opportunity to. to uh, no, you're all wrong. And, and the reason you're wrong is you'll never get this. This is the Scudder Ancestry map, <laughs> right? I'm really disappointed that you didn't get that. Now, I know everyone's nervous about getting your DNA tested and now they have it and now they've got you. Well, they got me. I, I did this like 10 years ago. I didn't know. I didn't know this was like so dangerous to do. Um, I'm just not going to rob any banks or, you know, commit murder or anything. Oh, they'll use this against you in the, you know, in the end times. Well, I'm going to be raptured. Um, I'm going to be probably arrested because of my preaching. So, you know, whatever. I'm okay. I don't care. So anyways, I did it. I'm in the system. And uh, here, this is really interesting. Now, I don't really know exactly which one of the descendants of, of Noah I am, but they say that most of our ancestry, I'm 52% England and Northwestern Europe. That's kind of cool, I guess. I'm 27% Germanic European. I'm 18% Scottish. I know that I have to go get a, is it a kilt or something? But no, I won't be doing that. Um, 
I don't have enough uh, DNA to, to buy a kilt. Uh, and then 2% Norway, and then 1% Eastern Europe and Russia, which is funny because they have this huge, it looks like I'm like from there, but uh, that's, just, that's just 1%. I don't know, it's kind of fun, isn't it, to, to be able to look back at this, and the more they do this, the more they're finding that it all does, it all does go back to the biblical paradigm, what the Bible has to say about how we've all descended from a, a, a unique place in the world, and it's not from... It's not from Africa. People descended down into Africa during the dispersion of the nations. Let's read Genesis 11, and this is important. Genesis 11, verse 1. The whole earth was of one language. Wouldn't that be nice? Isn't it a pain when you travel or you're even in the United States and people have different languages, and it's really tough, isn't it? Now, we're Americans, and we speak English, and we think everybody in the world should speak English. Well, that's fine until you go to a place that doesn't, right? And you're trying to figure out, oh, I have Google Translate. It's still clumsy. It's still hard. It's better today than it ever has been, but it's still really tough. Why? Because God didn't want us all to be together collaborating. Why? Because of man's wickedness. Now, we're, we're kind of overcoming that with the internet, with AI, with all of these things. Um, it, we are being more collaborative, and it's probably going to be in a bad way. Okay? But... The whole earth was of one language and one speech. What language was that? What language will we be speaking in heaven? I don't know. If I were to guess, I would say Hebrew. That would make sense to me, but I don't know. I doubt it's English. It's definitely not my English, my version, butchered. Uh, Verse two, and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there. So, the, the ark came to rest in the mountains of Ararat. Okay, then it, there must have been some sort of migration, people think possibly north. And then as the world was cooling, it would have been very warm during the aftermath of the flood. It would have been starting to cool, ice forming in the ice age in the northern region. So they would probably come down, okay, into the, the area of Mesopotamia. They come east from there and they find a huge open plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there. Now, there's a problem with this. There's a big problem with this. And we're going to go back in a second to what that problem is. Just keep in the back of your mind. They are disobeying God right now. Okay? They said one to another, go let us make brick. Remember, they're in this big, huge alluvian plain. This is a, where the rivers would have come out and it's just all mud or soil. They didn't have the, the rocks, or the, the limestone and stuff to make uh, buildings out of cut stone. So they would use brick. They, they learned how to make bricks. And burn them thoroughly, you know, to fire them and make them hard. And they had brick for stone and slime they had for mortar. And they said, go to let us build. And I just want you to start to notice some of these uh, words here. Let us build us a city and a tower. Now, is it wrong to build a city and a tower? No, it's not wrong to build a city and a tower. But it's wrong to do what they did. And the reason they did it for is wrong whose top may reach unto heaven. Now remember that in Revelation? They're going to make a name for themselves. Let us make a name. This is the problem right here, folks. First of all, lest we be scattered abroad, what did God tell them to do? He told them to spread out after the flood. We don't want to be scattered. We want to all be together. We want to make a name for ourselves. We want to build this edifice. We want to build this building. We want to build this city. We want to elevate us. We want to, to, to eliminate the distance between heaven and earth. We want to build this religion in, in essence. Okay, Upon the face of the whole earth, we don't want to be scattered. Now here is the problem. Look back at Genesis 9. God tells them when they get off the ark, God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, what? Be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. They were directly disobeying God by not spreading out. God wanted them after the flood to repopulate the whole entire earth. You say, well, how would they have gotten to Australia? How did the kangaroos get to Australia? How did they get to North uh, and South America? right? Remember, there's two things, two answers there. They were great shipbuilders, right? They built an ark that survived a worldwide flood, 
okay? They had the technology to make great vessels, and they, they could navigate and all that. They also, if you, if you look at the Ice Age, all the ice piling up and snow piling up on the northern and southern continents, uh, the northern continents, you, you would have had a lot less ocean water level. You would have been a lot lower. If you drop the ocean water, the same amount of, of ice that was on these continents, you would have uh, land that would connect to a lot of these places, almost to Australia, actually. And it would have been a lot shorter of a journey by vessel. Anyways, that's an objection people throw out there. But if you think about it carefully, it actually works. They didn't do this, and they made themselves this tower. What is the tower? What is it that they built? Well, there's a, there's a lot of ancient, tall, pyramidal-shaped buildings in the world. You have this in Egypt. You have this in Mesopotamia. You have this in Mexico. I've seen some of you have seen the Mayan pyramids of Chichen Itza. We've been to, to Koba, another uh, pyramid, it, right here in our, in our hemisphere. Okay? And, and they, I, I believe this is a ziggurat. This is a, a tower with a temple on the top. Here's a video by Joel Kramer, an archaeologist, that explains this. taken uh, quite a bit to get out here to Eridu. You scholars uh, say that the Tower of Babel was here. We have here a great example of a ziggurat in Mesopotamia. So behind me here in Babylon is the place where the ziggurat of Babylon stood. I found the Tower of Babel. You can hardly see anything here today. So in order to better understand what a ziggurat looks like, we're going to go to Ur. This is the best preserved ziggurat in Mesopotamia. And so uh, not only because it was found the best preserved, but also because a lot of restoration work has been done here. So here I can show you what a ziggurat looks like. It's very obvious since the most famous architecture from Mesopotamia are these ziggurats, these tower temples, that when we're reading in Genesis chapter 11 about the Tower of Babel, that it's talking about one of these tower temples. So there are three main parts to a ziggurat. There is the house on the top, there is the tower itself, and then there's the stairway that attaches the ground to the house on top. And so the house on top is the temple building itself. The people believed that the God lived in the house on top of the ziggurat. The tower is the foundation for that house. And so that's why a ziggurat is a tower temple. The third part of a ziggurat is the stairway that was the link between man and God. The tower itself is made up of these different steps. So each step is a platform that's made of mud brick and then uh, each successive platform gets smaller and smaller as you go up. So I'm up at the upper step here on the ziggurat of Ur, there's three different steps, three of these platforms built on top of each other, and then the house, the temple building itself on top. I'm up on the crown of the ziggurat, and this is where the house would have been. All right, so you have a little bit of better understanding what a ziggurat is, right? And it's pretty interesting that they're still there. Now, that one in Ur isn't the one that probably was the Tower of Babel, but it would have been like that, but much bigger. Now, you saw in the earlier part of the video, he was in an area that was just destroyed, and that was the ziggurat from the time of Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, after Nebuchadnezzar, other people destroyed it, other people rebuilt it. It was, it was there when Alexander the Great conquered Babylon. He destroyed it, 
so that he could build an even bigger one on that spot. All of this, I think, was the original Tower of Babel that's there in Babylon today in modern-day Iraq. And Alexander the Great died and was not able to do it and still in ruin even to this day. Now, when we read in Daniel 4 about Nebuchadnezzar, in verse 28, it says that uh, at the end of the 12 months, he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. The king spake and said, is not this great Babylon that I have built? Do you kind of hear what the people were saying at the plain of Shinar, the great-grandsons of Noah? (laughs) Look at what I built. The house of the kingdom by the might of my power. It's all about him. It's all about us. And the honor of my majesty. While the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken, the kingdom is departed from thee. Nebuchadnezzar on his palace certainly had a great view of the tower, the ziggurat, that he had made grand or rebuilt or built taller than the Tower of Babel. Certainly was right in his view. It had to be one of the tallest things that he had to see as then God says, no, I'm gonna humble you. And God does that, doesn't he? Okay, so let's go back to Genesis 11, verse five. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower and the Lord was very impressed and said, wow, you guys have done a really good job. You're doing great. You just keep it up and you keep making a name for yourself and you just take over. You guys seem to know what's best and I'm just gonna leave you guys alone. You've got it figured out. That wasn't the version that I normally read from. Uh, so, so the Lord is looking at the city and at this tower, not impressed, not impressed. God is not impressed with you in your own efforts. Now you're valuable. You're valuable, but it's only because of the value that God puts on you, not the value you innately have in yourself because you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. Okay. So what did God say? And by the way, you hear, uh, uh, God speaking in a plural, right, pronoun, a singular Lord, but you see he is saying the uh, us, right? So you have the Trinity there, don't you? The Lord said, behold, the people is one and they have all one language. This they begin to do and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. do so do you see how an evil mind and evil minds can collaborate to increase that evil and do more and more terrible things that eventually just destroy humankind. Well, God doesn't want humankind destroyed. God wants to save humankind, but he has to do it his way through a Messiah. So he's got to do something. There's going to be a judgment. It's, it's kind of a mild judgment, but it's a judgment that he's going to do. In verse 7 of Genesis 11, go to let us go down and there confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. This is really interesting. All of a sudden, we had one language And now we have multiple languages. The Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. Therefore is the name of it called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth, and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. Babel, we still actually have that name, right? When when there's somebody that's talking crazy or funny or you can't understand them, they're babbling. Right? They're babbling. Babies babble, don't they? And they're, they can do that. Okay, so that's the languages. The languages of the earth. But their sins reached into the heavens, right? So God said, okay, we're going to scatter you. We're going to disperse you. And suddenly you see springing upon the earth, not one language into two, into four, into eight. You have one language, and now all of a sudden you have around a hundred language families suddenly. You know what's really interesting? When you go back to Genesis 10, how many different people groups are mentioned there from Noah to Noah's great-grandsons? There's around um, 90, okay? There's around 90 or 80 or so. Now it says sons and daughters, so there's more packed into that, right? Um, But let's say 80 or 90 is really close to the number of language families that linguists know there are. So there's like, you know, the Germanic language family that English comes from. There's the, the Romantic uh, language family, Italian, 
uh, Spanish, uh, Portuguese, they all come from one language family and they can do the research and find the commonalities. Now let's talk about language here real quick. I need four volunteers. I need someone that speaks Tagalog to come up here quickly. I need someone that speaks Spanish to come up here. This will be easy. Come on up. I need someone that speaks Russian to come up here. Come on. What's going on? We don't have anybody speaking. Okay, here we go. Come on, Tagalog. Where's our Tagalog? Somebody. Real simple. Come on up. Uh, Where's our um, Spanish? Are you? We have Russian. Come on up, someone. I need you quickly. Come on up. This will be easy. I'm not giving you 20 bucks, by the way. I need someone to speak English, but I don't want it to be Midwestern English. I want it to be English from a different place. So how about Bahamian? Do we have any Bahamians in here? They speak English, but I pretty much don't understand them. Okay, I only need one from every language, though. So Spanish, we got Spanish. You can check their Spanish, though. And you can check the Russian. Okay, do we have a Bahamian? Get up here. Bahamian. I know we have a couple students from the Bahamas. Get up here. Hello. Do we don't? They're not here. They're gone. You're pointing. Get down here. I need you quickly. You're pointing. Whoever you're pointing at, come on. Come on. I need you. I need you quickly. I've already gone over time here, folks. You're, you're messing this up. Okay. Who do we have? Who is it? Okay. Hurry. I need you down here. Be quick. Here he goes. Okay. We're going to go ahead and start. I'm going to have you read. Don't say the reference. Just read the that part. Um, she's going to be reading a a Bible verse. Same with you. Don't read the reference. And you're going to check her, and you're going to check her. Okay. All right. Go ahead. Let's start with you. This is Spanish. Porque de tal manera amó Dios al mundo que ha dado a su hijo unigénito para que todo aquel que en él cree no se pierda, mas tenga vida eterna. Now, who understood that? Oh, I wish I did. I mean, I, I know what it is. Oh, you. Okay, go ahead. Иоанна 3:16. Ибо так возлюбил Бог мир, что отдал Сына Своего единородного, дабы всякий верующий в Него не погиб, но имел жизнь вечную. Who understood that? Some of you did. I love it. Okay, Tagalog. Sapagkat gayon lamang ang pagsinta ng Diyos sa sanglibutan na ibinigay niya ang kanyang bugtong na anak upang ang sino man sa kanya ay sumampalataya Awesome. Okay, good. Who understood that? Some of you did. Okay. All right, now listen. I want you to read it like you're back in the Bahamas. Okay? Just read it like you're, you're reading it to your church in the Bahamas. Okay? All right, this is English. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Okay, well, so what did they all read? John 3.16, right? Isn't that amazing? And a new student from the Bahamas, right? That was really good. Why were you so reluctant to get up here? Oh, somebody else was supposed to do it, but they weren't as good looking as you, were they? Yeah. So that's why you came up. Um, and, and, and listen, I, I love the Bahamas. I really do. But I can't understand them. It's English. It's English. But man, I tell you, it's, it's so different. I can understand certain people in certain parts of America, right? If you go at certain in the South or even like in New York and different things, we have these, these accents. Do you see how languages can morph, right? And especially if you're very isolated, that's how these language families, about a hundred language families, morphed off into these different variations. And, but you can still see the similarities, can't you? All right, let's give them a huge hand. Thank you guys for coming up here. I appreciate that. So what I love about the Bible, it doesn't just divide the languages. The Bible doesn't just divide the languages. The Bible reunites the languages. When you read the book of Acts, do you find a a time in the book of Acts in the New Testament when God brings the languages back together? A little little look into what eternity is going to be like. Pentecost. When these unlearned guys, they hardly could speak their language, are speaking other languages. And people were amazed. They couldn't believe this. But that's what God, God doesn't want to have us divided. God wants us to unite us. God wants us to be brought back together. But it has to be through him and his way. 
Let's talk about this as we conclude. Look at the ziggurat. The ziggurat gets three things wrong. The ziggurat gets wrong this. Who man is. We're going to make a name. We're going to be great. We want to get together and we want to collaborate and we want to do this ourselves. That, the ziggurat gets that wrong. Who man is. The ziggurat also gets wrong who God is. God isn't some, something that we make, something that we can form with our hands. Aren't you glad our God doesn't fit in a little teeny stone structure on top of a ziggurat? Our God that created all things in the entire universe is so powerful, is so great, is so glorious. We were created by him and we need to listen to what he has to say. The ziggurat gets God wrong. And the ziggurat also gets the link between God and man wrong. Like we can, we can reach up, we can build up, we can create our religion, we can work our way up these steps, and we can try to eventually get to God. You cannot. It'd be like you trying to get to the moon by building a ladder. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. You have to do it God's way. What's the problem? The problem is the chasm. Look at this picture that one of our artists uh, painted. It's similar to another artist that I used to I love this picture. But it's this chasm in the middle of fire. You have the earth and all of our grandeur, our tall buildings, our civilization, our society, our wisdom. But then you have heaven. You have this chasm that cannot be crossed. No matter how, how hard we try, we cannot attain heaven. So there's a cross that goes between heaven and hell. The cross of Jesus is what will cross over the chasm of hell. Hell is what we deserve. But praise be to God, Jesus came through the godly line of Seth and Shem and Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and David. Jesus came, born of a virgin. The sin nature is broken, dying on a cross for our sins. I tell you, when I start to study the Bible, I start to see that it's, it's right, it's true, it, it fits with what we're finding in our world. And the most important message of the gospel is the cross. We were created, we messed up, we sinned on our own, we're hopeless, we're on our way to hell. But praise be to God, because of Jesus, we have hope. But you have to go across the cross. You have to put your faith in him. For he died on that cross and he rose again the third day. And that's the bridge that bridges hell for us. Let me show you this. Let this, my wallet, represent sin. And we have all sinned. And we've fallen short of the glory of God. And this is us, my left hand, representing us. And we've all sinned. God, my right hand, represents him. He is holy. He is perfect. He, he loves us, but he hates our sin, and our sin separates us from him. So Jesus came sinless on the cross, and he became sin for us. He became the perfect human sacrifice. His blood poured out for our sins. He paid for our sins, and now he invites you to believe in him. When you put your faith in him, not in yourself, not in your works, not in your religion, not in you building your tower to God, but you say, God reaches down to me through Jesus. I believe in him. I'm doing it God's way. It's the only way I put my trust in Jesus. Your sins are paid, and now you are in the hand of Almighty God. That's the gospel of grace. That's the good news. And if you've never received that by faith, do it today. God says that he loves the world that he gave his only begotten son and whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. The gospel of grace.